Craig is recording. Awesome. Um, so, so what are you working on today, baking wise? Um, I am making some keto shortbread cookies actually for an order, and um, decorating three cakes for tomorrow. Okay, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just like kind of in the oven, right? Is that what you said? I'm sorry. Right now. You said you're, you have a mall oven right now. That's why you have a little bit of free time. Oh, it's more so I, um, well, I already baked them, but I need to decorate them now and like build them and stuff. But I had the oven on this morning and it's really loud. So I figured I should wait until I'm done baking everything and it's off. So that way you don't hear it in the background. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Hey everyone, uh, welcome again to Story Feast Conversations. It's been three weeks since the last episode. Um, I don't necessarily have a release schedule figured out. I was kind of trying to do the two-week thing, but I'm not sure that's going to be super sustainable with uh, um, recording the podcasts and getting enough in, um, but I will try to just basically keep it as frequent as I can. Um, I might switch to monthly if things get a little bit slower especially around the holiday season um but i i am hoping to amp up the the schedule um and release weekly at some point in the future we just don't know when that will be um this week was with rachel martindale of milk and honey um, bakery and it was a pleasure talking to her um my voice recording got a little messed up. I'm not sure exactly what happened, so please, again, bear with me, as usual, um, while I try to figure out this whole podcast thing. I hope you all enjoy. So I'd love to hear, uh, I, I personally know a decent amount about uh, uh, Milk and Honey, but I, I'd love for you to just kind of give a little history about like how you got, got into um, baking and like uh, making food in general, um, but also like how milk and honey kind of came out of woodwork. Totally. So, um, man, when I get asked about kind of like how I started baking, I would say a lot of it was just, I would watch Food Network a lot growing up and, um, it was just kind of the thing that my grandma and I would do a lot together. And, um, yeah, I, I think just like being able to watch all those shows and then as I got older, going into the kitchen and actually like baking the things that they were baking or cooking the things that they were cooking was really cool and fun for me. Um, but I don't think I actually really got into baking though until um, when I lived in Tennessee. It was the summer of I think 2003 that I was there during an internship between my sophomore and junior year of college. And I moved there not knowing anybody. I was only there for like, you know, four months because it was the summer. So I was just like, well, all of my evenings are pretty much free because I don't know anybody and I don't really know what to do there. So I actually, um, I just like started baking a lot and I started a food blog there and just kept it up every single night where I would make new recipes, um, kind of learn a lot of different techniques. And then everything that I baked, I'd bring to my job the next day and share it with my coworkers. So 
Yeah, that was like, I think when I first started like realizing my love for baking and how much fun I thought it was. And I brought it back with me to Ann Arbor when I came back. And for the rest of my college career, I would like bake a lot in the evenings to kind of de-stress from engineering school. Um, and yeah, and share this stuff with my roommates. So that's kind of where the baking part originated. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but sounds like your coworkers got a good deal out of that. Yeah, definitely. I know they were they were always looking forward to the next day. They're like, what'd you bring for us today? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so with the milk and honey, though, um, funnily enough, it actually like um, started out kind of as a joke between my roommates and I, where we were thinking, okay, in the future, Rachel, you should just open up a bakery, and then. I don't really know how the name Milk and Honey came up, but it was kind of like a joke that every time I was baking in the kitchen, they would say like, oh, it's Milk and Honey, like Milk and Honey's baking or whatever. And um, yeah. yeah, so like several years later, when I actually started baking out of my Ipsy apartment, I when it kind of came down to like, oh, I think people actually want to buy stuff from me. You know, like people started asking to like make for me to make like a bridal shouter cake or like, you know, whatever little small event they like wanted a cake for, they would ask me to make it. And I decided, okay, well, if I'm going to start selling stuff, I might as well like, you know, create a brand around it and things like that. So it actually turned into milk and honey pretty easily because it was already there, I guess, from college. Um, yeah. yeah. So the business itself, like the name and all that stuff came from there. And then at the, around the same time, my husband, Jonathan and I were starting up this like homeless ministry in downtown Ann Arbor, where we would go every Sunday morning and make hot breakfast for the Indian community. And we were paying for that out of pocket at the time. So it was kind of like, okay, well, we, this is like an expense that we were not kind of anticipating initially. And so, um, Right. I decided to link it up with the business and like, oh, well, if I'm selling these cakes or like whatever I'm making on the side, I might as well have at that time. It was all of it, like actually going straight to pancakes in the park, which is what that ministry was called. So um, Milk and Honey started in that sense of like at least the the like wanting to be involved in the community and giving back to the community was because of that was that we are starting that on the side and I used the money that I got from the things that I sold towards ministry. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That, uh, it's kind of like a, I don't know, like a braided story where like, like these two strands kind of just like weave together really well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, with your current iteration of milk and honey, uh, operating out of the, Mylan like coffee works location right that's where you currently are yes i moved here in um, early early this year so yep okay cool and what i know you had um like what's kind of like the process for you to like move from just like kind of selling things like out of your um like out of your kitchen to like friends and like uh, just like personal connections to like kind of becoming like more of a full-fledged um organization like with an actual uh you know operating system and everything like that i don't know what words i'm trying to find yeah um so i think just initially yeah it was mainly friends and friends of friends that would reach out just because of like my closer 
personal network, I guess. Um, but going forward from there, I think just social media is really great for that, where like people will post their things or like they'll like, or even word of mouth, um, like they'll talk about like how, oh, I ordered this cake from Milk and Honey and we really liked it or whatever. And slowly it kind of organically grew to more and more people that I didn't know reaching out and asking for things. Um, and I think, yeah, just like as I kept getting more and more orders from people I didn't know in the community, I was like, okay, I think this is like, this is something that I can like potentially run with. Um, and I'm definitely like not a big risk taker, I think. So I usually take it very slowly in terms of like moving forward in terms of um, kind of like expanding my business. So it wasn't until maybe like, I would even say like a year after I started getting more orders from people I didn't know here and there that I decided, okay, like I can actually, you know, make a website and like do all this stuff and like create an order form for people. So it's like more um, approachable to like the general public versus someone just getting my phone number or something and calling me. Um, and so, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So I, it was just a kind of like this organic thing though. I think the growth in general and um as I got more and more orders, I was able to like kind of develop more and more of a content base to share on social media or like on my website and have like an actual portfolio on like wedding vendor website and things like that. So like, it was like a, just a slow buildup, I guess, in that sense. That's awesome. Uh, would you say that now you have uh, uh, more uh, people that you don't know, like, would you say that's like the driver of your business rather than like connections with people that you do know? Yeah, definitely. At this point, I would say okay. um, most of the people who reach out are people that I don't have any personal connection with. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. And, that, and this happened like in what, the span of like three years? Yeah, I would say, right. I think I started in like two, early 2017. So, yep, around three years. Wow, that's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Um, what, okay, so uh, you mentioned the, the homeless ministry that you were doing, making hot breakfast in, uh, the park. Um, what, what would you say, uh, kind of drove, um, the desire and, uh, maybe like the need to, to do that? Yeah. Um, so, well, I think it's like, it's a twofold thing, um, where, Jonathan and I were just like just married not too long ago prior to starting that we had like got married in July and it was around December that we started it but we were thinking like as a couple we wanted to find something that we could do together in in terms of like serving in the community and um, up until that point hadn't really been able to find anything that we both felt really passionate about together um, and that also would be something that we could do consistently together versus like a one-off going to a food bank and volunteering for like one Saturday. Um, we wanted, to, yeah, right. we wanted to do something that was like very consistent that we both could do together and enjoy doing together. So yeah, I, what was interesting was that it kind of fell into our laps in the sense of we attended an event at um, Common Cup in Ann Arbor that was called Voices of Homelessness. And it was a really powerful evening organized by the um, kind of like the homeless association in Washtenaw County. And they basically had several 
either currently transitioning out of homelessness or had transitioned out of homelessness, people share their stories with the group. And yeah, it was yeah. just so powerful and beautiful to listen to their stories, just to hear um, a lot of these people who had grown up in just really severe, severely traumatic experiences or just like overcoming substance abuse addictions and things like that to be able to get to a point where they were on their feet again and able to like kind of, yeah, be out of homelessness, be out of um, just like troubling situations. And it gave us both a lot of encouragement and hope to just see that with a little bit of assistance, these people were able to do that and like overcome a lot of these things. So yeah, I think that night after the event, we like went back to our apartment. We're just like, that was so cool. And just like cool to see these people's stories, but also just like knowing that there was still such a huge need, even within our own community, that there are just so many people who are still homeless or like are transitioning out of homelessness who are, who feel really stuck. And so we talked about it and we're just like, well, why don't we do something that helps this homeless community in our, in Ann Arbor and figured like, okay, well, what's a very real need that people need, which is food. So we thought, okay, well, why not, um, Mm -hmm. why not provide that very physical need as often as as we can? So we like basically just borrowed a gigantic grill that come weekend and went to downtown Ann Arbor to Liberty Plaza and just made some pancakes and had some other things there. And what was amazing was that just that first day, we had never announced anything. And it's really hard to announce anything to like the Indian community because a lot of them aren't on social media. A lot of them aren't really like approachable um, via, I guess, like advertisements and things like that. Um, So yeah, we just kind of showed up and ran into this one gentleman and told him hey like we have pancakes for you like feel free to eat it if you want and so he he grabbed some and said okay well i will be back like i'm gonna go grab all of my friends and we thought he was either like not actually gonna come back or like i don't know we just thought like okay well we're just gonna be here i don't know if you actually are gonna come back at all (laughs) but he came back with maybe like 30 people overall um which was amazing i know it was amazing so that first day that we like were there no announcement or anything we ended up serving maybe like 30 some people it was like the middle of december so it was freezing and there was snow everywhere um but yeah we were super encouraged by that we're just like okay people will show up and like this is a very real need and um a lot of people were saying how like yeah there's like the breakfast church in downtown ann arbor where it's like open pretty much every day of the year that they can go in, the homeless community can go in and get breakfast between like, I think 7.30 and 8.30 or something like that. But um, it's just, it's like oatmeal and cereal and like basically the same thing every single day. So all of them were saying how like being able to get like a hot breakfast of pancakes or like sausage and like fresh fruit and stuff was just like such a treat for them. So I think that was really cool to see like, okay, this is something that people will actually enjoy and like want to consistently attend. So yeah, it's basically that was how it started, and then from there for the next year, we were there every every week. That's awesome. That really is awesome. And it, it's when you were when you were talking um, about how it was such a treat for them to have like a hot breakfast. It's it's crazy how uh, how might take that for granted. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes in the morning, I'll just like you know pour a bowl of cereal. And like not even like care, I guess, like that it's like cold versus yeah. hot because it's like I like I have the option to do either. Like 
this morning I poured myself a bowl of Cheerios because I, you know, just didn't want to put the effort in yeah. for like hot, even though like I have like, you know, all the stuff I could have made a decent omelet for myself or something, you know, mm-hmm. you know like it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy to, to just like think outside of that, like that bubble every once in a while. Um, and, and like, I try to like actively do that, mm-hmm. but even just like, you know, something like that, like I am taking for granted hot breakfast food. It's, yeah, totally. There's a lot of things that we just like, don't really think about when we, yeah, are privileged and like have, um, have the resources, I guess, to be able to not think about it. Right. Um, uh, so how would you say that, uh, the kind of homeless uh pancake thing uh how do you think that's like carried over more into like your current business model yeah so um we did the pancakes in the park in the park for a year and um it was while it was like really amazing and we both learned a lot and had a lot of great experiences meeting the people there we both kind of just got burnt out because of um just having to consistently do that every single week and like not really having um well we 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 definitely did have some volunteers who were pretty consistent and really helpful but we weren't really able to get enough people to support it that we could get a break um and i think that was really hard for us because um often both of us were there and it just took a lot more work than just being physically present on that sunday morning for two hours it was like all the making of everything on saturday all of the like grocery shopping for it and just like even the like mental energy to have to like plan and like ask for volunteers and things so um yeah we unfortunately both just got really burnt out and felt like it wasn't sustainable to keep it up every single week and as i was getting more and more busy with orders a lot of my orders are for the weekends because that's when a lot of weddings and parties and things happen um i just like wasn't really able to i think sustainably keep it up where i could be physically present there while still fulfilling everything that i was getting um yeah Yeah. so early in 2019 um as i was like also kind of switching into doing more of milk and honey versus my full-time job at the time i decided okay well i still want the business to be able to benefit the community in some way to give back Um, and I want it to like not leave those roots so I decided to donate a portion of my profit from the business to a local nonprofit that was kind of doing something Mm -hmm. similar and so I chose Ozone House because they support homeless youth in our community and I thought like okay well that's really great because it links up the homelessness issue but it also is targeting youth and like young adults in our community which i think are particularly vulnerable and um we just like want to be able to kind of yeah be able to give them the resources and the help they need at that age before they before it kind of continues into the older age which is like what a lot of the people we were serving were kind of like in their middle years of life like 40s to 60s um yeah so i think i just being able to meet the people at Little Zone House and hearing like what they do and how they serve the youth in our community. I was like, okay, this is like a really great organization that um, I know like the funds from my business will be supporting and like doing good work within our own community. So that's how I decided to like switch over to donating 
a portion of profit. And then after a few months, after like figuring out my finances and stuff, I was able to kind of nail down a number. So I donate 15% of the profit to Ozone House. That's awesome. That's really great. Um, yeah, I, I've heard a little bit about Ozone House. I'm not as familiar as some, but uh, I, I know that Holmes Brewery um, has done like charity taps that have gone to Ozone. Yeah. And um, like Ozone is like one of those things that comes up multiple times for like people's like birthday fundraisers on Facebook. Yeah. And I know I've done it. I know I've done it before. And um, Ozone is like kind of like a, a like a um, a multifaceted like organization in like how much it does. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really a really great um, place. And I'm so glad that we have something like that in Washtenaw County. Totally. Um, uh, so uh, kind of, I guess, jumping off that a little bit, uh, this was a question that I was actually excited to ask you, um, but there is this, uh, statement going around that, like, uh, it's, it's like on social media and stuff. Um, every once in a while I saw like Bon Appetit posted it. I saw like, um, a couple of random things. I know that there's like some stuff going on with Bon Appetit right now, mm-hmm. um, but um there's this idea that food is political mm-hmm. and uh like i agree with that but i'm not the i don't know if i know enough to like really explain it um or like even understand it yeah uh to like the full extent. so i was wondering if you had any um insight as to why food is political you know i would say i i feel like i'm not very well versed either to be able to like speak um, very in depth on it, um, other than kind of like what I've seen so far, um, just like on social media and reading up on certain things. Um, yeah. I think, I think the the core of it is really how a lot of food is um, that we consume nowadays is very much like you know mass. I, just, I don't know if the mass produce is the right word, but kind of, kind of, you know, like there's just like these gigantic. Um, farms and like factories that make a lot of the food that we eat now and um, that statement comes from the fact that like a lot of the original plantations and farms that we kind of started from I guess in terms of our country were often like worked by slaves and um, or like by people basically like minority groups um, and um like just yeah just like menial laborers and things like that that i think a lot of people don't think about and even to this day i'm sure it's still the same case where there's just a lot of people who are in poverty and who um yeah just like come to america and like work these specific positions that we don't even like think about we don't think about where our food comes from i think a lot of is is like kind of where it comes from too and yeah, I, I, think, I think it does bring out this question of like, where, yeah, where does our food come from? And like, what do we want to support um, in that? And right. I, I think 
being a business owner is just like, okay, I, I want to support like as much local as I can, like in terms of like local producers and local farmers, yeah. um, just knowing like where the food's coming from, who's working there, like who are the farmers, like who are their like laborers and things like that? Or is it just like the farmers themselves as their families, you know, or just like being able to kind of ask those questions and look into those things. Um, I think is really important. And so I think as a business, I try to tend towards that as much as possible instead of getting things from like the big box stores or trying to get things as cheaply as possible. Um, and yeah, I think there's a lot behind it. I, like I said, I, I'm not super well versed, I think in, in, in to like really say much more beyond that, but I do think it, it does ask us to take a step back a little bit to, to see like where, does our food come from? Where is our its origins? And like, how do we feel about just like how the food system is in our country and like in the world in general right now? And like the laborers that are there to like get, yeah, like grow food for us essentially. So I think those, that's a question that I think a lot of us should just take a second to like really think about and, and make those decisions going forward of like, how do we want to get our food and like, what do we want to support? Yeah, totally. Uh, that, I think that's great insight because I, I was definitely like, I think the kind of track that my mind was on when it came to like food is political. I was thinking mostly about like um, food security um, and not so much uh, the connectedness of like the way that our um, like food is produced and like mm -hmm. distributed. Yeah. Um, and so, like, certainly, distribution is part of food security. But um, I remember—I don't know if this is true anymore—but I remember at one point that uh, there was something that came out that like the world produces enough food that every single person could have like something like 1,900 calories a day. Mm -hmm. Like, it, there would be enough for no one to necessarily go hungry. Right. Um, and so, especially with uh, your uh, experience with the Pink in the Park, um, for people experiencing homelessness, uh, like food security is like a huge thing. And mm -hmm. like you kind of, of being uh, um, being involved with a, a channel that offers um, another way to distribute food, um, like it is like a political statement in some sense because it's like you know, anything that we do that kind of circumvents the system is political in some sense. Yeah. It's not necessarily in the same way as a binary party system, but like, like um, as far as just like commenting, like my city is not doing enough to like care for these people. So yeah. like, let's, um, like, let's do something about it. Totally. That, right. Um, so yeah, I think, it, I think you gave a lot of insight uh to like the food origin because that's like that's so real like i was watching a youtube video uh, a little while back about the people who, who um harvest cocoa beans mm -hmm. and it was it, basically this guy this uh, recorder journalist i don't remember exactly who he was or what he was doing but he basically brought the chocolate bars that were coming from the work that they were doing and let these workers these harvesters try it and it was like their first time trying chocolate oh and i was just like i was floored by 
you know, as you said before, like uh, my privilege and just like I can have a chocolate bar whenever I want. Right. Like it's it's not a big deal. Whereas like these people are literally doing backbreaking work um, to like make sure that I have chocolate and they probably are not getting paid fair wages. I mean, there's certainly a bigger push for fair trade chocolate um, and like better working conditions in those areas, which um, is a really important thing but you bringing up the source reminded me of like, like how prevalent that is not just in um like where the food ends up but also where the food comes from totally and i i mean i think you you bringing up the food security like element of it too is a very real thing too and just even within our community like in the ypsilanti community schools there are so many children that get free that qualify for like free lunch and free i think free breakfast too um and things like that is just pretty crazy to it it's like a really astounding percentage of how many students qualify for that um and just like how so many children like when they don't have school they don't have food um so that's just like another thing to think about too just how it's so there's like the gap is so wide of the people who can afford actually like healthy, nutritious food versus, you know, just like the very heavily processed things. And also like there's the problem of like food deserts and things like that, but that's a huge topic (laughs) on the set. Yeah. I don't know if you really want to go into, but yeah, there's just like so much, I think there behind that statement. Yeah, I definitely, that is definitely a good conversation to have. I'm not sure how it fits into this conversation mm-hmm. other than just like the natural evolution of talking about the politics of food. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really, it really distresses me to think. So I, I grew up, um, my family, uh, like I was getting free lunches through, um, through high school, like middle school and high school. And I think elementary school as well. Um, but uh, I think I think I also had access to free breakfast, but that would have required me to get up earlier and get to school earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think it was mostly targeted at families who, um, like, the parents had to work very early in the morning and had to drop their kids off to school earlier. And Got so it. it was, like, a way to, like, both have the kids be supervised, but also, like, be able to have breakfast instead of just, like, something that's cold you know just a bowl of cereal Mm -hmm. um but had like pancakes or something too um and uh i was actually really lucky um it's like one of those mixed privilege situations where like um like my family was lower income but we had the resources to like plant a garden Mm -hmm. so um and we also had like support from uh you know community when we like needed it there were definitely times that like our church bailed us out um when we were like in a really tricky situation and Mm -hmm. everything like that and um uh i mean the garden in our backyard like it was a a huge garden Mm -hmm. um like i'm looking at like a, a an apartment um building in front of me like out my window and it's like it was probably about the size of this apartment building and uh maybe a little bit smaller, but we had like everything. We had like corn, peppers, uh, we had peas, beans, 
potatoes, uh, onions, pretty much anything that you could like think of in like a normal like pantry, uh, including like fruit, and we even had like apples and pear trees and stuff like wow. that. And none of that would have been possible if we were just living in an apartment, right? right. Like we actually had land. So like while we were lower income, we at least had um, you know the ability to like cultivate uh the resources that we had like whether it was the land or like we lived down the street from someone who did a lot of like hydroponics and like Mm -hmm. harvested and like sold seeds and so like we were able to get like good deals from them yeah and uh there's just like a lot that went into like you know we were just very lucky to be where we were to be able to um kind of supplement uh like what we could afford with like what we could grow yeah and I think about that a lot now. I'm just like, I buy these vegetables all the time, right? Like a cucumber is like, one cucumber is like what? Like maybe a dollar, mm-hmm. like 50 cents. Um, and like for the for a dollar, I could grow, you know, 20 cucumbers, yeah. right? Um, obviously, there's a little more work that goes into it than that. But um, in Ann Arbor, I, I know that there's like community gardens. And like plots that you can like uh, request and like re- like reserve or like get a chance to um, be part of, but I, I just wish that there were more. Yeah. And there was like a more active like infrastructure for people to like learn and like get into that because that would be so such a great way for the lower income families um, to you know not only like have a chance to like do something with their kids like outside um, yeah. um but it would also you know probably cut down their their food budget um and give them healthier foods um like month to month and i know i know that there's more that goes into it than that but i just like i don't know something that i was thinking about when you were talking about uh like sourcing our food totally and, um that we lunch thing and everything but uh we don't have have don't have to get too into it but do you want to give like a brief explanation of um like the food deserts and how that um can impact food distribution totally um so i would say um you mentioned like the community gardens and things and like the things that came to mind for me are just some organizations that try to help in the like food desert area so i would say like more low-income areas like um, like detroit or um some areas in ypsilanti um yeah particularly where there's just a lot more low-income families there's just not really any access to nutritious healthful foods um just because there's no grocery stores there they're mostly um like gas stations or party stores on the corners of these neighborhoods and they mostly sell you know like processed foods or um or like maybe pre-made foods and packaged foods but those almost might be more expensive it's just overall and like even with that being the case um like you said like a cucumber is probably about a dollar um but you can buy a gigantic bag of chips for maybe like 50 cents at like one of these stores you know and so just like when you're weighing the options of like volume of food and calories 
that you can get for your buck, it makes sense that a lot of these families, like they can really only afford a lot of processed foods, which is not healthy. And also just like contributes to a lot of health issues like obesity and diabetes and like a lot of those things that have cropped up in the last several decades in our country in particular. So I just think, yeah, like there's just a lot of areas, especially low income areas that just don't have access to like grocery stores and like fresh fruits and vegetables and things that are like more nutritious and healthy. Um, it's also just a lot more expensive. Like even if there were a grocery store there, yeah, like those those things weirdly are just like a lot more expensive than just all the other processed foods that are available in the stores. So um, I think a lot of people who might have to like consider what they're buying just will often go towards the cheaper items in the store. Um, and that really sucks. I think like there are lots of organizations that are trying to combat that though in different areas. So like in Ypsilanti, there's Growing Hope which they, like you said, actually, your idea, like they're, they go to different low-income families and teach them how to garden. They'll like build raised beds in their yards and kind of give them the tools to plant seeds and like grow their first gardens and, and kind of like help them along to be able to sustainably, yeah, just like grow their own food. Um, and then there's also organizations like that in Detroit too, um, particularly the Detroit Black Community Food Security Network. I know that they're using their community garden and really trying to um, educate as well as be able to provide fresh fruits and vegetables for um, particularly the Black community in Detroit. And I actually just donated to them recently because I really love their cause. Um, and think that, yeah, yeah, there's just like a lot of, I'm glad that there are a lot of organizations like that that are trying to solve the issues and trying to like really help families um, be able to have better access to food, but I feel like there's just more that needs to be done. And like, there's, these are just like, you know, one or two organizations within vast cities. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't really know exactly how to solve that. You know, I'm just, just like things to think about, right. but yeah, I just, um, I think even just the knowledge of that and knowing that like, so people can even donate or like try to provide food or like, I don't know, start creating like more accessible ways to, provide food with like community gardens and things like that would be great. But yeah, it's just, there's a lot behind that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that kind of goes into the idea that like relief, like that's like a more relief level uh, organization, mm -hmm. right? Like it's a, like, that's the kind of activation that's happening there. And it's, it's important. We need relief, but um, like you were saying, it's like two organizations and like this like these two vast cities mm -hmm. right and like you can only do so much right so it's like at a certain level there needs to be um uh like people uh, being active uh politically like uh you know our representatives like our um mayors our like governors mm -hmm. like need to um kind of figure out a better system that actually doesn't let people fall through the cracks as far as like food totally um, goes yeah um but that yeah that it's it's so cool that there are organizations that are doing that and i always hear about these these organizations and like wish that there was like more like not that they were doing more because they're already doing so much like probably mm -hmm over capacity right right like over budget like all the time 
but I wish that there was more, um, like, I wish that they could get, like, taxpayer money, yeah. right? Like, not just grants, but just, like, be given, um, like, a steady flow to, like, you know, do things. Yeah. Um, like, I, I worked at um, a First Presbyterian church, and we gave a ton of money to, like, local um, local organizations and charity work. And mm-hmm. I know that some of, I know that some of it went to Ozone House and um, stuff like that, but uh, there's just, like, there's just, like, such a need that, like, even the church, like, that gives, um, you know, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. um, like, that's, like, still not enough. Yeah. And, like, when you level that with like um you know how much money goes into other uh systems that should not have the kind of funding it does um like i just wonder like how much more we could do to like stem those the the problems that those overfunded systems are like trying to solve um but are doing it at a reactive level rather than like a proactive level totally Um, is there, uh, is there like something about your personal belief system or ethics that makes you particularly passionate about, um, food and how, like the culture around food, not necessarily like politically, but just like, um, given what we talked about, how like politics, I'm sure comes in to play a little bit but um like is there is there a part of your like theology or ethics that kind of just like really connects you to food Hmm. does that make sense yeah it does i'm trying to think of the connection if there is one but i know that i personally just like really love making food and baking and not just baking but i also really enjoy cooking Mm -hmm. and I um I think for me it just like is a way for me to share with people and like nourish and feed and bring joy. I think um and I love that. I like love that being able to you know come together around a meal that you made for somebody just brings instant joy and satisfaction and it's almost like a very it's very communal and I I just love that part of it and i love the particularly because i my business is baked goods um it's not necessarily the most healthy stuff but like you know how it just like brings joy to people right and like you just don't really find people who see like who are given a baked good and are just like ugh, you know like oh (laughs) they're often just like really excited and like their eyes get wide and like wow like i get a treat that's awesome so i just i think i love that part about food and that it really does not just nourish physically but it brings joy to people and i think personally i love that because i i think it's a way for me to show my love and care for other people um so i found a way to kind of like do that as my job now which is great and i love that um and being able to like celebrate with people on their and on like their very special occasions like whether that be weddings or birthdays or things like that just kind of having even like a small part of that feels really great um In terms of, I guess, like theology and ethics and stuff like that, I think that more so plays into 
how I run my business versus like, I guess my connection with food. Um, but mm-hmm. I am a food business and I've like worked in a lot of food and like um, food service businesses in the past um, and just have seen how a lot of them aren't always run the best way <laughs> um, or like just like the different ways that employers will treat employees or like and things like that. Um, I kind of vowed when I started my own business to just like not yeah try to just hopefully like avoid those things and like being able to like want to pay people well and like a living wage and like um wanting to use my business to benefit the community and give back versus just like profiting a ton you know and just like making money and i think um that very much plays into my ethics and my like theology and like all that stuff um yeah i i think I, I've talked to other people about this in the past, but like a lot of times your 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 average startup or business or something like you need to be successful in order to survive, obviously, in the sense of like you need to be sustainable financially. Um, but right. I I do think that businesses can very much still put certain people like people or causes like over profit at times, like whether that be like giving. T- like donating certain things or like either their goods or like financially being able to like support other things that they care about. Or like for me, just being able to, you know, take a portion off of my profit to give to a community nonprofit, just cause I think that that's important. And I think like, what would I do with the money? Otherwise it would just sit in a bank account, you know? And I just like, I like hate the thought that it would just like sit there. And like, ultimately I know like most businesses goals are just like to accumulate more money and like to grow and all that stuff. But I think my personal belief system keeps me from like wanting that. I think it keeps me like from wanting to just profit and make money. It makes me want to like use what I have and like my giftings and my finances and my business to give back to the community. And um, yeah, I think that that's kind of more so where it comes in, Um, especially like when I talk to a lot of other small business owners and things like that and see like how they run their businesses or like why they do the things that they do. I think I personally sometimes mm-hmm. feel weird <laughs> um, in that when they're just like all talking about like how having your own business is the best way to like gain wealth and, you know, and to like be able to be really, really like financially successful in life is to like have your own business. But I just like don't see it that way. Um, I kind of see it. Yeah. I just right. like see it from a very different worldview of like, I'm doing this and I love this and I feel really grateful that I have the opportunity to do this, but like, I do want to steward what I have to benefit other people. Like I don't want to just accumulate wealth. Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. And that's something that I've been thinking about more and more, especially with the focus on like, um, like during the pandemic, like all the small businesses that are like not doing well. Um, and thinking about like, $15 minimum wage and like how that would affect small businesses. Um, But then, oops. Um, And then also, uh, you know, how like something like universal healthcare would also enable small businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, I was kind of thinking about that. And like, I was thinking um, there are a lot of businesses a lot of small business owners who who will say that like $15 minimum wage is just like not sustainable for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's over time, like at 
first I was like totally on her side, right? I was just like, yeah, that like totally makes sense. Like, um, like it can be backbreaking for like some, uh, like small businesses to like, um, spend that money, but like still expand. But like, I don't know. I, I, and I'm not trying to like say that every small business owner, um, who wouldn't want to pay a living wage, Mm -hmm. like is thinking along the same lines, but to some extent it's, it doesn't mean that it's like not sustainable for you or it mean that like um, you personally aren't going to make as much profit that like makes it worth it for you to run your own business. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, this isn't, I'm not trying to paint like a brush, like a broad stroke of like on every small business owner. Um, but there is, there is, um, kind of, I think, an unhealthy sentiment that small business owners are automatically better mm-hmm. than like the big corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just wondering, yeah, I was just wondering, like, what your thoughts would be about the kind of like glorification of like 100% small businesses over like corporations or like bigger companies? Yeah, um, that's a hard question because I think. I do, I do ultimately, like, I want to support small businesses. I want to support local businesses. I think, like, cause I, I think of myself, like I am a small business owner. I want to be able to support other people who are right. like me and, um, who very much like, I don't know a lot of people just like often don't really think about that. These businesses are our livelihood. So it's like, um, mm-hmm. I think it's hard for people to con- conceptualize that for, um, small business owners. Cause they don't often experience that if they don't own their own business. Um, where there's just like a lot right. behind it and there's a lot of expenses and there's a lot of things that like even I like didn't know about coming into this that I felt like totally naive about. <laughs> um, but I do think it's, yeah, it's hard because like, yeah, if you think about all these big corporations, they at one point were small businesses, um, but then they just got like right. so successful and like are so large now that I think they're just, um, yeah, I think that they kind of like are just almost self-sustaining, it seems like at that point, which is why I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are like, okay, well, let's support these like really small like mom and pop shops because these are actually right. like, you know, two people running this business versus, you know, like thousands and thousands of employees at that point. Um, but I think from my personal experience of like working for small business owners, um, I think it's just a matter of keeping people accountable, regardless of if they're a small business or a large business. I think it's like, what do they use? Like, what do they um, do with their money? How do they treat their employees? Like, how do they treat their customers? How are they as people in general? I think it's just, it's, it scales like either way. Like you have to just keep those people accountable, um, whether they're a small business or a large business. And you can very much see um, you can very much see more so the faults in like, I guess in media coverage and things like that for bigger businesses. If like there's a little blip that happens or like any sort of thing that happens, oftentimes it'll be very, very publicized. So like you can see that very clearly and like I, that doesn't really happen with right. small businesses, um, especially local businesses. I think there's just this like protection around them that exists because yeah. the community is like, no, but they are small business, like they're good. They are, you know, like they must, um, they must be good. Like they must be telling the truth. They must be like doing things right. 
um, which is not always the case. And I can like very much say that from my experience of working for a few local businesses in this area that like I had very awful experiences working for those small business owners. Um, and it's really sad to say, like, I, I hate that that's the case. And like, I don't want to like make people almost be like the Debbie Downer of like, yeah, that really sucks working for those people. Like they're actually really not good people or whatever. I like, don't want to be that person. So I like, I often keep my experience to myself. So I don't really tell people, but um, yeah, I think it, it is just a matter of accountability of just like whether or not they are a small business or a large a corporation, if they're not treating their employees well, if they're not being transparent, if they're not paying their employees well, it's like, do I still want to support their business? Probably not. Um, and so I think like I've yeah. made the personal decision to like not support some local businesses because of that reason. Um, same thing with like larger businesses, like depending on how they respond or act and I guess like hold themselves as a company. Like I personally will make my decision of whether or not I want to support that business. Yeah, totally. And I definitely feel the same way um, as far as like holding them accountable mm -hmm. right um i wish that there was like certainly there have been incidents especially in an arbor area um washington county area um where you know businesses have certainly failed to, to uphold integrity i guess mm -hmm. um for lack of a better word and uh, i have seen that uh like backfire on them yeah um and that's like a good thing, but it does kind of feel like it takes a really large thing to happen. And it doesn't always get to that boiling over point, even if a business has like a toxic environment or right. like, um, you know, less than ideal business practices. Yes. Um, so it's just like it becomes one of those things where like how do we um you know not necessarily uh become big brother on every small business right. um but how do we like learn to hold them accountable like what what resource would there actually be for that I've thought about that a lot actually and I I don't know if there is one that exists um and I thought about like, maybe I should start something, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. That would be, I mean, honestly, like, I feel like most of this, like the current, uh, like checks and balances systems that are in place, like started out as a, I don't know how this is going to work. Like there's, a, a, there's an app called good on you i think that's like ethical co clothing brands mm. um and like to me it's like i i enjoy like kind of like looking up companies but it doesn't it's not the most uh um it's it's not the most like elaborate yeah uh, or in depth and but like it's starting somewhere you know mm. and i think that just like starting somewhere with something like that it, is like a really helpful thing because um like i think that any business that's you know worth its salt would agree um to uh like let accountability and oversight 
um, maybe not in the sense of like controlling all the actions, but just like getting recommendations or like kind of showing like this is like what in general is good um, for small businesses to uphold. Right. Um, so that like there's good ethics and integrity. Um, and it would also be, I think, helpful that it's a dialogue too, not just like one person, like, a, you know, secret shoppers, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like the idea of secret shoppers because um, they could go in on like somewhat of a shitty day, right? Like, right. And, like not realize that like 99% of the time the business is running really well, but it could be that like, you know, it's a, it's a mom Asha, like maybe they had a fight that morning that just like kind of affecting them and therefore like affecting all the employees just a little bit like you know just like slightly less um you know of a joyous environment when normally it would be like everybody else working there and just like that one day right right um and so like having a dialogue between small business owners and like uh, the person or like the the organization or system or whatever that kind of keeps those checks and balances in place um, at least on like some type of like tally maybe not like an actual like enforcing or anything like that right but, um, I think that would be awesome yeah and like you as a small business owner would probably have a lot of um, a lot of insight as like, like what what is important as far as the the ethics that should be upheld. Totally. So. Yeah. Um, but I mean, saying that, like, I, uh, like, that's part of the reason why it felt important to me to, like, kind of do this podcast. Like, it's not always going to be small business owners that I, um, that I talk to, but getting a chance to, like, talk to people who I know, um, like their personal ethics tie into how they do things mm-hmm. um, was like really important to me because you are the the third conversation that I've um, that I've had on here and uh, you know I, I talked to uh, Chris Dupont um, kind of about like the culture like around like fan base and like, spirituality um, and kind of like church music versus like, concert music and like mm-hmm. what like differences and like stuff like that is but also like how his ethics and spirituality like drives him as a songwriter yeah um but then i also talked to kara um the owner of vertex and um i know you know that but uh and um like we were talking about like sustainability and those things and Mm -hmm. um it feels really important to kind of highlight the 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 impact of ethics on how businesses are run because it's so important totally i agree um if you could start so i don't want to take up too much of your time so let me know if like uh it's running a little bit long um but i I do want to ask if you could start something like that like what, what what would you think the main obstacle would be just like um building like taking the first step and building something like that Mm. so interestingly i was actually thinking about like different platforms to kind of do something keep 
businesses accountable. Um, and do you know Glassdoor? Have you heard of that? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard of Glassdoor. I've used it a couple times, but it doesn't always, like I was saying, it doesn't seem like it, it, it has like a great dialogue. Right. Like it seems like sometimes like there are like disgruntled employees and you right. can't really tell yes. if it's just like, yeah. Um, I think, so yeah, that's what I was thinking. just like, if there was something like that, it's hard. To, it's just so hard to like get a full picture. <laughs> so I, mm, I, yeah. I don't really know like what would be the best platform to do something like that. Um, but you mentioned like the biggest obstacle. I, I think honestly, the business, the biggest ob obstacle would be like, because like I said, that there's like a lot of protection, community protection surrounding small business owners. I almost feel like if there was even an honest dialogue between potentially like previous employees or like current employees who want to be honest about their experiences, that the general community would just wouldn't believe them. Um, or like would say like, oh, well, you're just, I don't know. Like, I think it's uh, like community often feels much more negative and against um, the employees of a small business, even if there's like, even if they're telling the truth, even if they're being honest, I think there's just this, like these like blinders up that people have because they're just like, Oh, well, no, they're small business owners. They're great. <laughs> they like, there's no way they could have done that. Right. Like there's no way they run their business that way. And you're just lying. Right. You're just like bitter. So you're making something up or, um, or they'll just be like, Oh, you just like want more money. You know, like you're just like a, a per I think it's also what plays into it is just even people's perceptions of, service workers and like people who work for like blue collar or um, service level jobs. Uh, I think that there's just also a perception there that um, plays into people's, I guess, like thoughts and beliefs about things. And so I think that's like what I've seen in my experiences is just like people don't tend to believe them. So I don't even know if there would be like a way to have an honest dialogue if there's already that like block initially um yeah so yeah it's just it feels hard but like that's that's what i would think it would be a big obstacle to overcome is like how can we have honest conversations where um people will still like believe what's being said and like be able to engage in that dialogue without even just initially like writing it off completely right it would almost have to be something where it, it, it couldn't just be it couldn't just be an app right yeah it can just be something that, that goes down like a checklist and just like says like oh a in this area b in this area d in this area right. a plus in this area right it would almost have to be like legitimate uh journalistic effort in like almost like a like a spotlight yeah like an expose on each business and um like really like kind of going from top to bottom and like talking to current employees, um, talking to current managers, talking to the owners, talking to uh, like ex-employees, like stuff like right. that, where you just kind of have to do that kind of like whole um, picture, like uh, like puzzle, yeah. kind of putting every piece together. Totally. 
Hmm. I feel like I feel like that's possible. It would just be slow. Yeah. You know, um, at first with, with like only like one or two people working on it because there's only so much that you can, you know, like it would it would take time. I think definitely. But, but it's. I wonder if someone will do it one day. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe someone will hear this podcast and be like, that should be done. Yeah. And then, that's it. Um, hopefully, hopefully that'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I agree. I would totally frequent that website or whatever it is if <laughs> if it is done. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I would like I, I'm not making really anything from my podcast right now, but um, I make like, a little bit on Patreon from like are supporting me and uh like eventually i hope to like get some small sponsorships like podcasts and stuff and like mm-hmm. in addition to like um you know uh, eventually i want to be able to like do something like i donate 10 15 20 percent of like the person who i'm interviewing like their like charity of choice um yeah that's or cool. like their organization of choice um, like with like whatever comes of that podcast episode. Okay. Uh, but like right now, obviously, like you know, I, I make like thirty dollars a month, um, and that mostly is probably just going to go to like the cost of hosting, um, hosting the podcast mm-hmm. and like uploading it. Um, but yeah, like eventually I want to do something like that. But like it would be awesome to like, uh, like also have like extra um income to like put towards you know if someone has an idea like that where they like want to like kind of jump into the story feast family um story feast is like the name Mm -hmm. of the the patreon and everything um i actually haven't named the podcast yet even though i've (laughs) done three episodes i've like played around with like a couple different names um, it will probably end up being something like Story Feast or like Story Feast Conversations just because it like will keep in brand a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it would be awesome to have like, you know, someone like excited about a certain idea in the Story Feast family. And like, even if I can't like necessarily pay them to like do that work, um, but like they're passionate and want to do it as a side project, yeah. I could at least put money towards um, like what it would take to like host like the website or like uh like start work on an app or yeah, you know, something like that. Totally. That's a great idea. Um so yeah, I don't know. It it's all it's all future. It's all future thinking. Mm-hmm. Um forward motion, hoping that things go well. Um and right now the best I can do is just like highlight voices and businesses and people who who care about um, high ethical standards mm-hmm. and like are active in creating culture um, and creating a culture around the things that they are passionate about. Yeah. Um, so we've we've been on for about an hour now, um, and so to to give you your time back, um, I, I appreciate you coming on. But uh, one last question I have for you um, mm-hmm. that you maybe have like already touched on and like don't really have much to add to, but, but um, I would love to hear just like one main, like if there's one main motivator um, for you, like in your lifestyle, like your, um, like 
your business like is there like one main thing that like kind of drives your ethics and like the way that you move about the world yeah um so i would say like i had to like culminate it into one thing my faith is probably what really motivates me in terms of like how mm -hmm. i go about living <laughs> and um but also just like how i go about like I mentioned, like running my business, um, the values that I have behind my business, um, even just like my desire and values when it comes to like wanting to serve people or like give back to the community. Um, yeah, I would say that that's just like kind of the root of it all. And like, there's a lot of different, um, I guess like sprouts from that. And like, um, yeah, Sorry. but I would say that that's in particular like my main motivator. And I, I should specify my Christian faith, not like, I know there's lots of different faiths out there <laughs> and faith traditions and beliefs. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's awesome. I, I think it's important and important to highlight which faith system too, because yeah. um, it's important to show that there are, um, it's important to show that there's, uh, a variety of voices coming from each faith um, and each like belief system, yeah. each philosophy, you know, um, it's not all just like one kind of person who right. is a Christian, you know, or not one kind of person who is a Buddhist or one kind of person who is an atheist. Yeah. Or, um, and so, yeah, it, it, I'm glad that I'm glad that you um, like feel so strongly about your faith that like it impacts you to care about things like mm -hmm. minimum wage um like living wage um that you care about food security that you care about um kind of like the joy that food can bring people um, um you know i think i think that's like a very honorable and good thing thanks um is there anything else that you wanted to say that uh like you think could be um, helpful for any listeners to hear or um, anything that like maybe we just kind of like glossed over but you like wanted to like expand on a little bit hmm. um I don't think I have like anything very specific I think it's um probably just like an overall statement to kind of almost summarize a lot of the issues that we talked about is just like I think a lot of people yeah, sure. should really just take to step back to think about where things come from, where their money's going. Like, there's a lot of things that I think that we just don't think about. <laughs> um, and even just like taking a second to think about those things with, like, yeah, like I mentioned, like this business that I'm supporting, um, where, like, what, what are their ethics? Like, what do they do as a business and all that stuff? Or, like, even, where does my food come from? Or like, I don't know. There's just so many different things that, yeah, I think we just don't even think about on a day-to-day -day basis that are worth thinking about. Even just taking some time to, to like reflect on the, I guess, like resources and privileges that we have, like you mentioned with the cereal and like the hot breakfasts and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just like so many things that would, I almost think soften our hearts, give us better understanding and empathy if we just took time to think about them. So 
I, I, I always encourage people to just, yeah. yeah, take some time to like really reflect on a lot of those things that we don't even give a second thought. Thank you again for supporting this podcast by listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I sure did. Um, if you are interested, uh, I will be posting the links to Ozone House, which Milk and Honey supports, as well as uh, Milk and Honey's website um, in the description below, uh, as well as um, a link to uh, the Story Fees Patreon page, where you can support this podcast financially. Um, right now there's like no special benefits for anyone supporting. Um, I'm working on that and hopefully it will come soon, but you should know that any and all contributions to the Patreon are extremely, extremely helpful in order to spend more time and invest more energy and, uh, make this podcast the best that it can be. Thanks again for listening. Y'all are the best.